Welcome to the Leaders Table podcast, where policy leaders share the inside stories of their impact on the world, and we capture the secrets behind their success to help you increase yours. Education, diversity, and equity, core American issues. What are the things that I should be pushing for to inspire a movement? Let's, let's dig into that. Welcome. I'm your producer, Molly Stevens, and here on the Leaders Table podcast, it's our job to dissect leaders in policy and education to dig into the practices, tools, tips, and actionable strategies of their success to empower you. Courtney English is all about the community he serves and leading Atlanta's Board of Education to serve all kids. As the youngest ever chair of the Board of Education for the school system, where he was both a student and a teacher, relationships and stories of students show up in every single policy decision he makes. Courtney shares what he's learned about building trust as the captain of a ship that's navigated its fair share of tough storms. Listen and let us know what you think by emailing us at leaderstable at educationalequity.org. And now here's Courtney English at the Leaders Table. Courtney English, welcome to the Leaders' Table. Hey, happy to be here. So not only do we get to talk to a native Atlantan, a Morehouse man today, uh, but someone who's really made uh, made a big change in Atlanta. So you are the board chair of Atlantic Public, the, the Atlantic Public School Board of Education, elected in 2009 when you were just 24 years old, and you are the youngest board chair in history, in the history of the Atlanta public school system. You were unanimously named board chair in 2014. And we understand that when you joined the Atlanta school uh, school district, the district's um, graduation rate hovered at 50%, and today that number is 71%. I hope that we could start there and talk to us a little bit about what you've learned in that journey and how Atlanta's public schools made that shift. Sure. Well, I, I, first and foremost, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here with you and then uh, share a little bit about our story at APS uh, with all of your listeners. Um, you, know, you know, APS, um, when I joined the board, was, was really in a, in a dark place. Um, it uh, not only did, were we going through uh, what some would call as the largest change scandal in American history, but we also had some some other pretty dismal um, academic outcomes, uh, as well as some administrative issues, uh, that scandal aside, that were plaguing um, the school system. I think the biggest lesson um, I've learned, which is should I guess should be obvious, is that you know leadership matters. Um, setting a clear um, vision absolutely matters. Organizational culture. Uh, matters. In fact, I would say that, you know, culture, the culture of an organization 
uh, particularly from a leadership perspective, is actually more important than the strategy that you employ uh, to get to a given um, destination or reach a given outcome. Um, and so, you know, we we had an APS, unfortunately, with a system that uh, was adult-centered. It was focused on the needs, the interests, the will of adults and, and not uh, what was in the best interest of, of kids. And so, you know, we essentially flipped that organizational chart on its head. If you think about the way the school district is structured, you know, you've got the Board of Education at the top, board hires a superintendent, then you've got, you know, all these folks kind of in middle management, and then you get to the actual schoolhouse and the principal, then you get to the teacher, and then you get to the student. Way down there, like, you know, 13 or 14 different levels before you actually touch the kid. And so uh, we have reorganized ourselves to be a student force, uh, student first organization with the board at the bottom of that org chart, superintendent, all those other folks who are pushing up to do everything we can to support our students inside the schoolhouse. And so uh, it's a, I think I've learned, again, uh, to bring it full circle, uh, leadership is critically important. Um, organizational culture, I think, is more important than strategy. And I think uh, we have developed or, you know, consistently trying to develop uh, a, a culture that's focused on students um, and not focused on adults. What if, if I were to visit... APS, and I was a leader of a of a school district somewhere else in the country, and I said I wanted to be able to know when I was seeing how I, how I knew what I was seeing was the unique thing that's making APS work. What what would I point to? Uh, wow, um, I, I think um, it, the thing that you, I think you would see um, a group of people who are working really really hard. Uh, to try to push decisions down to the schoolhouse level. And that's, um, and, and, and I think it plays out in, in two different ways. One, you've, you've got folks like me who are downtown, folks uh, in the superintendent's office who are downtown, um, who are trying to find ways to increase school and principal autonomy. And then you've got our principals and our teachers thinking really hard about what to do with this additional autonomy and flexibility that they have. And so, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about the importance of leadership. And so I think you will find that we are, we are a district that is um, in the business, if you will, of developing um, leaders. We're always trying to empower people. Um, and, and I think that is a, that is a vast difference between what we had. I think, you know, APS used to be a very top-down, bureaucratic organization um, and not a lot of input from the folks who actually see, touch, feel kids um, every single day. And so I think uh, the biggest change for us, if you had to ask, another way to think about it is like, what is our theory of change, if you will? And, you know, to me, it's, you know, you hire good people, um, you develop good people, uh, you give them resources to be successful, you hold them accountable, uh, you essentially get out of the way. And that's, I think, has been one of the biggest shifts uh, in the organization that has is producing positive results for kids. Now, did you enter the board understanding that about leadership, or did you did you come to that that understanding through your work? Well, I think you know I'm, I I can say I, let me let, let me see if I understand the question. If I think it was. Just the belief, I mean, for far too long, APS had been like this huge, bloated, bureaucratic organization, right? I mean, that's, it was well documented here and around the metro Atlanta area, uh, you know, uh, from 
the amount of money we spent on administrative costs, the amount of people we had uh, downtown, to, you know, just the lack of support that our principals and our teachers felt inside of the schoolhouse. And so it was it was um, kind of an open secret, if you will, that a shift needed to be made. You couple that with a very uh, heavy-handed former administration um, and a culture, again, that was focused on adults, and it led to uh, some very nasty things happening to kids. Um, and so we, I, I think when this board got elected, it, it was – we got elected to, for better or for worse, blow up that bureaucracy. And so it was a combination of what had happened previously. Plus, I think, you know, we just, I, I personally believe in people. I believe, you know, all organizations are, are made up of individuals. And if you don't get the people part right, you're spinning your wheels. You can have the best curriculum. You can have the best shiny thing, shiny tool, if you will. But if your people aren't coming to work excited, engaged, uh, empowered and ready to work on behalf of to execute, you know, uh, uh, behalf of the mission and vision of the organization, it's going to be offered that. So I think it was a, a combination of context. And then I think, you know, kind of our collective belief uh, that when given the opportunity, when given the resources, given the autonomy, um, good things will happen for students. Like mm-hmm. people will deliver positive results for kids. And if I were a fly on the wall today, trying to learn your leadership style versus uh, 2004 when you were, fir- when you were first elected. Um, what, would I, what would I see? Wow. If you were fly on the wall today. Yeah. Today versus yesterday. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's been a ton of growth. I think I've, I've grown. I've literally grown up as a former student and teacher in APS. I've grown up in and with APS, and they haven't been on the board. Uh, this has been my eighth year on the school board. Um, it'll be a whole lot of differences. I think I'm a lot calmer now um, than I once was. I think, um, you know, I kind of understand what really is a crisis versus what's just really urgent and or important. Um, and I think that translates uh, and has translated into my, co- you know, me being able to provide leadership to my colleagues to say, you know, hey, guys, you know, I know, you know, this might feel really tough or really bad now, um, but it'll be okay tomorrow, right? To say, you know, we got some tough decisions that we have to make. Yes, this is a tough vote. Um, yes, some folks might be angry at us right now, but I, I have been there long enough, if you will, to kind of know that, you know, the sun's going to come out tomorrow. Um, and I think that has afforded a degree of freedom um, in decision-making that perhaps a lot of particularly a lot of younger, younger elected officials or younger leaders might not have, right? If we're always, if we're con- so consumed and concerned um, with, with, you know, making the wrong decision that we don't make any decision, right? Um, then um, I, I think we're the, ultimately the organization's worst off, worse off. And so, you know, I think, you know, the difference between here and now, I, I've just had the experience enough to know um you know, what's bad, what's not, what we should really be concerned about. I, you know, I'm able to hone in on uh, or prioritize in a vastly different way. And it, you know, makes everything clear for me. And I think hopefully helps uh, my colleagues see things clear, particularly when they're in tough, tough positions that have to, take, have to, have to take tough votes. Mm-hmm. Now, you were elected when you were 24 years old. Um, what what prepare, which is amazing and incredibly motivation, motivating to all of us who, who see that success story. 
um, and see all that you've built. But but what what prepared you to do that at such a at an age when most of us are just trying to you know figure out our first job or figure out what it is that we even think that we can give to the world? Yeah, well, I think a huge part of it is, you know, I, I believed I could. I believe I knew very well that I had something to offer. I grew up in a household where my mom taught me, you know, I could be anything I put my mind to. Always do your best. Always work your hardest. Um, never become complacent. Never uh, settle for mediocrity. And so, you know, my age wasn't really a factor. I also grew up, um, you know, I never was able to attend the school in my neighborhood. Uh, it was one of the lowest performing schools, not just in APS, but in the entire state of Georgia. Um, and I essentially had to watch my mom fight um, with the Atlanta public school system to give me uh, the education she thought I deserved. You know, mm-hmm. uh, charter schools when I or didn't exist um, when I was in elementary school, and and um, uh, private school wasn't an option. And so, you know, we, my mom had to work with, through, uh, and against the school system to make sure I had the best possible education. So I think seeing that, knowing that, um, carrying that with me, uh, ultimately graduating from high school, going to Morehouse, um, serving um, at uh, Best Academy, which was the first all-boys school in the city of Atlanta in 60 years, carrying that kind of fight with me, and then just kind of knowing what didn't happen for my friends who weren't able to graduate from um, the Atlanta public school system. Um, there, you know, I felt like they were as talented or as gifted as I was, but I think in a lot of cases, the school system let them down. And so while I was fortunate and blessed to be in classrooms with, I think, really phenomenal educators, that wasn't the case for everybody uh, in the school system. And so I kind of ran understanding my mom's story. I kind of ran understanding the story of, of my peers who didn't necessarily make it out. And then I kind of ran uh, knowing that the kids I taught didn't, weren't necessarily going to get a high quality education across the board. And that, you know, that fueled my passion to couple that with a belief that I can almost do anything. Um, you know, I kind of carried that to the voters and I took that message to the voters and it worked out. Absolutely. It's rare that, um, that chairman are elected, uh, unanimously as well, which happened to you in 2014. What, um, what did you do between the time that you were that you joined the board and were unanimously named its chair uh, to win the confidence of your of your your peers, your colleagues on the board. I, you know, I think it was a, a couple of things. One, I would say I always use the term. Uh, you know, I, I led with my heart. I led with uh, my passion for kids, and I think what what I've always found to be true is when you know people people. People don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. If that makes sense, and and when you are authentic um, and you present uh, you present that way because you are that way, you believe and stand have the courage to stand by your convictions. I do think people are are drawn to it um, in a in, in in powerful ways. I think people want to want to follow people who are passionate. And so, you know, my first term, I, I, I live with my heart. And so, even if I, you know, got a decision. Um, wrong, or even I made folks upset with the decision. They always knew it was coming from a well-intentioned place. And so when you got an organization that, um, again, was, I think, top-heavy and then focused on the interests of adults, and, you know, you've got me, and it wasn't just me. It was it was a number of individuals on, on the board as well who were, I would say, pushing against uh, very strong headwinds uh, to do what's right 
um, by kids, even when it's unpopular. Um, I think people just saw that, and, I, you know, <laughs> I, I think they just trusted it because I had been through the fire, so to speak. I had walked through a very dark time uh, in APS, and so then when I act, turned around and, you know, actually their support as chair, I think people relied on the fact that I had seen and made some tough decisions and knew, frankly, that we would need to make a few more tough decisions. And so as the captain of the ship, you know, if you've been through a storm, it's easier for you to navigate the next one. Um, and I think people trusted that. Absolutely. So no, I know you're a Morehouse man. One of my best friends is a Morehouse man, and I've 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 had the the pleasure of working with with several other Morehouse men, Spelman women. How did the institution prepare you for leadership, or help to prepare you? Sure, Morehouse is uh, uh, all about service. Um, it's it's all about the idea that the notion that you know we have a requirement, if you will, to help make the world a better place. Um, and so, you know, just being in that environment uh, of being surrounded by so many of my peers who, you know, wanted to do well on their own accords, but also had a fierce desire uh, to make their community stronger, to make the world a better place. And that ambition helped drive them just as much as, you know, any ambition for a job, a job title, or a high salary did, if not more so, uh, was just a powerful um, a powerful experience being, you know, kind of in the in the same vein where folks like Dr. Benjamin Elijah Mays was president of Morehouse for 27 years and a member of the Atlanta Public School School Board once he retired uh, was was uh, uh, absolutely incredible. Of course, Dr. Martin Luther King, Maynard Holbrook Jackson, who was the first African American mayor of the city of Atlanta, Walter Eugene Massey. The list goes on and on. Having to just again breathe the same rare air as those individuals. Um, it, it, it gets inside of you in a way that allows, or not, not even allows, but it forces you to a higher standard. And I believe that standard is of service. It's, it's actually easier, you know, for me to run off into a corner office with a six-figure salary, so on and so forth, and just, you know, build my family and stay to myself. But we've got a, more house demands more of us. And that was just an incredible experience that helped shape who I am. And hopefully uh, I've been able uh, to, to live up to that standard. Mm-hmm. It's a proud tradition that I've, I've gotten to see through the eyes of, of, of someone very, very close to me and, and others. And you just, you feel it when you visit the campus. I remember my first visit was probably 2003 or 2004. Uh, and you feel it, you walk into the chapel and you know that greatness is expected there and that, uh, that great men are being prepared. It's an incredible institution. Let me ask you a little bit about um, to walk us through your 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 day as chairman. So from about the time that you wake up in the morning till you end your day, whatever that time is, what what's a typical day? If there's a typical day, look like? Well, there isn't one. <laughs> I'll start there. Um, you know, the day starts at maybe six a.m. Uh, six a.m. is actually a really good time to call me. Uh, <laughs> the call or text is so. I, uh, you know, start off reading as much as I can, but then about 7.30, I start taking phone calls about, you know, whatever, right? Whether it be, you know, a community member, um, whether it be, you know, the superintendent, whether it be my colleagues on the board, other leaders throughout the city, like 7.30 is a perfect time to call. So I schedule calls um, sometimes that early. Uh, it's just easier to do that kind of stuff when you before you get kind of into the day. Um, and that's, you know, on, on an everyday 
um, bases, and then you know hit come eight o'clock the meetings start, <laughs> um, and whether whether it is again you know meeting the plan for uh, the next board meeting, we're in the middle of our budget cycle now, um, and so that that takes a whole a whole lot of work. Whether it be we just gone through another round of of uh, I would say school closures or consolidations, which are never easy decisions. And so planning for that, planning the community engagement strategy. It's a lot of time on the phone, a lot of meetings with community members, a lot of planning for the next meeting with um, community meetings. And then you do the post meeting to understand what you learned from the meeting. <laughs> um, and so uh, all of so you know, needless to say, there's a whole lot of a whole lot of meetings, and then you know, talking to whether it be talking to funders, uh, trying to garner more support, uh, either in hard dollars and cash dollars, is a constant part of of um, the work that I do every single day. Um, and then I think you know, there's there's the community aspect, and so it's trying to be present and available in and throughout all of our communities, or as many of them as you can get to within a 24-hour period, as many events as you can get to, to let folks know, hey, look, I'm here. If you have a question, I'm healthy, you know, I'm happy to ask, um, happy to uh, answer the question. If I can, I will find you to answer. And then, you know, on a, maybe not every day, but I try to, you know, I still coach football, middle school football at the school uh, that I was placed at as a teacher up there as a core member. Um, I work with the Boy Scout troop. I have my own mentoring group at one of our schools, too. And so once a week, uh, one of those three things uh, also occupies a lot of my time. And so, you know, I, I feel like those are, those are you know, some of the I, – I think those things are important because it helps re- remind you why you're there mm-hmm. um, and the – I, you know, I love visiting schools. I love coaching. I love talking to students because it helps keeps you grounded and focused on what absolutely matters, and it clears out a lot of the noise and the clutter that, frankly, adults bring to the table. Bring to the table, but those experiences experiences really help to get to help keep me focused. So, you know, that's my long winded way of saying there isn't a typical one, but those are some of the typical things that fall into um, any given day. Mm-hmm. And it, you you mentioned being a former Teach for America teacher. I'm wondering how your teaching experiences uh, influence your your leadership today. Yeah, well, it was huge for me. I think yeah, what's interesting. I ended up teaching seventh grade social studies in the exact same room I took seventh grade social studies. Oh wow! Um, so oh, wow! Um, and so you know, the story used to freak my students out. But it's like <laughs> you know, I was connected to who. I was connected to the community in a really, really powerful way, um, in a way where, you know, I knew, you know, a lot of their parents, a lot of their grandparents. I knew a lot of their family members, a lot of their siblings. Um, and so that, that really helped. But, you know, even more so, right, I think we, it's, it's, it's far too easy for a leader to kind of look at stats on a sheet of paper, uh, whether it be about graduation rates or, about uh, about anything, really, graduation rates, literacy, uh, standardized test scores, whatever that it is. So that easy is is really easy to look at those as just numbers. Uh, what my what the teaching experience does, and I haven't been in the classroom, it it puts names to those numbers. It puts names, faces, stories, relationships uh, to those numbers, and those relationships um, are powerful. And, you know, I've got relationships with kids that I'm sure I'll have, my former students, that I'm sure I'll have for the rest of my life. And, you know, when you're looking at a budget and you know that that dollar uh, means 
you know, whether or not Deshaun is, you know, it's going to have an impact on whether or not Deshaun knows how to read by the third grade or not. Mm-hmm. Um, when you know that that tough vote uh, is going to have an impact on whether or not James um, is going to uh, be able to graduate from APS rated for college or career or not. Um, it changes the way in which you approach the work. You see the world through the eyes of those stories and those relationships, and I think it fuels a different kind of passion that's irreplaceable. So it was, it was, it was, it was an important um, experience. I, I will say this, though, that my experience in the classroom it also gave me. It didn't. It didn't help. It it didn't shape my worldview in so much as it gave me an opportunity to exercise my view on the world. It gave me an opportunity to serve, right? I believed in service before I got um, an opportunity to teach. I knew kind of what wasn't happening uh, for kids before I got an opportunity um, through Teach for America to serve. And so Teach for America was a vehicle that allowed me to live out uh, my passion and see the world through the eyes of my students. And it was incredible. Hmm. What do, what do you think the the world doesn't understand about Atlanta and its public schools that you know intimately? About Atlanta, I think um, I will say from Atlanta, Atlanta specifically, uh, and I think the school system is a byproduct of it. So I'm try to answer both questions at once. Atlanta is a tale of two cities. We are the I would say the economic powerhouse of the southeastern United States with the world's busiest airport, one of the world's, uh, I'm sorry, one of the countries, uh, I think it's the third, Savannah Port is the third largest port um, in the country. We, we are the third con- third highest concentration of Fortune 500 companies. Five of the largest of the top 20 nonprofit organizations are housed um, in, in, in the city of Atlanta. And so we're an economic powerhouse. We're, we, we are you know, consistently ranked uh, among, you know, top three, top five in places for millennials to move, most educated cities, um, our population is booming, and so on and so forth. Um, but at the same time, and all those things are awesome, but at the same time, we're number one in the country in child poverty. Mm-hmm. We're dead last in terms of um, economic mobility. The average income for a, a black family in the city of Atlanta is about uh, $25,000, $26,000. The average income for a white family is 80 plus. And so that kind of inequity um, uh, is felt first and foremost within the public school system. Uh, you know, poverty has a, real, a very real impact on, on education. I think it's the biggest uh, impediment to, to student achievement. Um, in fact, and so at the same time, while we're this wonderful crown jewel uh, of the Southeast, crown jewel of the city, you know, home to the 1996, the 100th, the Centennial Olympics, um, we have some very real challenges uh, inside of our most underserved communities. And so uh, I think it's, I, I always talk about that because we can't, as a, as a kid whose dad grew up on a dirt road, right, mm-hmm. outside of Atlanta in a small town called Villa Record, Georgia, um, they're the first generation college graduate. It is, I carry both of those stories with me. Yeah, I went on to Morehouse. Yeah, I got a, you know, fancy degree from, uh, from a graduate school or what have you. But it's what makes me who I am is that dirt road. What makes me who I am is this being raised by a single parent. Uh, what makes me who I am is, is having the ability because of all the people who came before me to, to, to succeed despite of my, um, uh, circumstances, and we've got to make it easier uh, for folks across this city to do the same thing. 
Um, and so, you know, that would be the thing that I would want, uh, you know, people to walk away. Atlanta's awesome. Um, but there are a lot of people in this city who need a whole lot of help really, really fast. And so uh, we can't lose sight of that as Atlanta continues to grow and as Atlanta and this economy continues to boom. You know, you, you are living out the dream of every one of us who grew up in a community that knew where we knew we were on the wrong side of the tracks, economically or otherwise, and grows up to actually be in a position of power to go and do something about it. Um, and there are, you know, listen to this podcast right now. You have a young woman who's in a classroom, maybe in her community or maybe in someone else's community who says, I, I want to be Courtney English one day. I want to do that. Um, what, what do you advise her? Uh, find a good fight and get in it. Um, you know, like, I'm a firm believer, you know, people need our help now, right? People need talented, committed, well-intentioned people, um, who, who are willing to step into the fray on their behalf right here, right now. We can't afford to wait and say, okay, well, you know, I'll do this when, or I'll do this after I check off X, Y, Z boxes. I think, you know, it's important to, to address and have conversations about those things, but, you know, find a, find a way to contribute right here, right now. So, you know, I ran, you know, my path was running for office. Um, but that might not be everybody's path, right? You can make a difference by showing up at a school and volunteering an hour, right? The, the young lady who's in that classroom is making a huge difference uh, in the lives of her students. And so uh, whatever that fight is, find it and get in it because people need your help right here, right now. Um, again, whether it's volunteering, whether it's mentoring, whether it's coaching, whether it's running for office, uh, whether uh, it's uh, providing, you know, some kind of service, whether it's start, starting a nonprofit, who knows, but there are a million and one ways to give back pick one and do so consistently. Mm. And what advice would you give your, I usually ask, what, what advice would you give your 23-year-old self? But that's about a year before you were elected to the school board. Um, I'd be interested to see how you answer that question. And, and maybe for you, let's ask also the 18 or 19-year-old question. Sure. I, you know, I would say I, if I were 23, I, I mean, you know, so I was running while I was 23. I turned uh, 24 about halfway through the, uh, <laughs> uh, through the election. Right. And, and so, um, I don't know. I guess it was 23. It worked out. So I was, uh, guess I would, I would say keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> uh, you know, hey, look, this is go. that part of it um, ended well. Just go forward. Uh, right. Just, 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 keep, just keep forward. Keep telling the story. Um, you know, when it gets hard, remember, remember what I call, remember your why, um, if you will, and, 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 you know, have faith. Um, and at 16 and, or 18? Yeah. So 16 or 18, let me see, man. Uh, man, I wish that, you know what? I, interestingly enough, man, fill out that application for the Gates Millennium Scholarship. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I got a full ride to Morehouse, which was incredibly helpful, but I wish I, 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 when I got that full ride, man, I think I got lazy. And so I know this is real in the weeds, but (laughs) 
like literally make sure you fill out that application. It would have, <laughs> it would have went a long way towards this graduate school uh, education bill. They keep sending once a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That blue uh, teacher's college Columbia robe doesn't come free, huh? <laughs> right. Exactly, man. There's a cost for that. It, it, it's all fun and games <laughs> undergrad, but man, I'm telling you, that's a whole different bill. So, uh, I mean, I know that, you know, that, that would have been my best advice actually. <laughs> And what um, what is one thing, a practice, a piece of technology, a, something that you use every single day to keep all the aspects of your life together? Um, wow, um, it's I, it's a it's more of a practice actually, and it's less about organization, but uh, for me, um, but it's 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 more how I respond um, to things. You know, I get a lot of. It's, it's a function of leadership. There are a lot of critics, um, and there are a lot of moments where you can respond angrily and and with emotion, if you will. Um, and emotion is not a bad thing, but I think you know we want to temper that emotion with with um, empathy, sympathy for the other person uh, other person's perspective, as well as our intellect. And so, uh, for me, what I, one good practice I just kind of find myself doing it every single day is, you know, someone sends an angry message or I see an angry news story or someone <laughs> um, is upset and I, I have an emotional kind of uh, angry reaction to it. I literally write that message down. Um, you know, I write a response <laughs> to it and I don't send it. Um, I give it some time. I read it. You know, and then what I, what I find is that over time, um, you know, that that initial reaction gets tempered by, you know, um, some 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 part, uh, you know, in part, everything else that's going on through the day. But in part, um, you know, it gets tempered by you just being calmer, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to, on one hand, vent, but it, it, at the same time, which gets it out of you, gets the anger, angry part out of you. Um, and then it allows you to respond from a more, uh, again, sympathetic, empathetic place. Again, trying to see the world through through the other person's eyes. I think that has been incredibly uh, important to me. <laughs> um, it's been it's it has maintained a a low stress level, uh, if you will. And I hope um, you know people feel the people I serve uh, feel that. So I always try to uh, keep it even keel, and that's one of the practices uh, that have always helped. Mm, that's a great. Uh... That's that's a great recommendation. Uh, one more question for you: Who is uh, you, you've accomplished so much at such an early age? Um, I'm wondering who has mentored you, or who has been the most have been the most important mentors in your life, and who's mentoring you today on the next stages of your life? Wow, wow, um, that's a man. Everybody, man, I've had I've been blessed, man, to have so many people. Um, pour into my life. I mean, I think, you know, the example of, uh, of my mom, first and foremost, um, um, who, who is, uh, since, uh, passed away, but, uh, her, her memory and the lessons that she imparted, uh, were absolutely incredible. She's kind of, you know, my mom's my hero. And so, um, you know, I got, I, I have to start there and it's, it's pretty part, you know, the reason why I, um, I'm still in service, but I mean, I, you know, there are too many folks to name and I, 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 I try to collect as many mentors as I possibly can, um, to pour into me. Like I am a, I am the total sum of the lessons that other people have lived, 
um, and learn, hopefully, for better or for worse, right? Um, and so I, I don't know if I could name um, any one individual, but anything I've always tried to set out to do, whether it be, you know, Michael Lomax type figure, uh, who's the president of the United um, Negro College Fund, Ambassador Andrew Young, um, whether it be my ninth grade biology teacher, Ms. Betty Busby, whose who's notebook I used as a freshman at Morehouse um, wow. because she was that, that, that powerful of, a, of an educator. Sterling Dean, mm-hmm. Sterling Hudson, who's the dean of admissions at Morehouse College. I mean, those are just a few um, folks who um, I've been um, blessed to, to be able to call on and rely on. Um, you know, I've got for close friends and family that have surrounded, um, you know, kind of wrapped me in their arms. Uh, and that's just been incredible. I think I, th- I think my overarching point um, to your question, though, is, you know, your network's incredibly important, not just from a help me get to where I'm trying to go mm-hmm. standpoint, but help me become a better person, right? Let's, the, the career stuff is fine, and I think, you know, it's real easy to look at, you know, to look at somebody's resume or CV and say, well, I'm here, they're there, I want to be like them when I grow up, so I'm going to go, I'm going to shoot them an email and talk to them. That's the easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, what what is far better is to seek out people um, who can help fill gaps that you might have, not just in your professional life, but help you grow as a person, help you grow as a leader who've walked a path, not only that you're trying to walk, but a path that was hard, that was difficult, um, and can provide guidance um, and a listening ear to help you, again, become a, a more whole um, person as you progress. And so I would just encourage people to think about their networks, not just from a professional standpoint, but who can help me be a better version of myself than I was the previous, uh, previous day. And so that's, I've, I've always tried to approach it like that. And I found that those relationships are deeper. Uh, they are longer lasting, um, and they're more fruitful for everybody involved. Um, so I hope that is, I, that's, that's along with the way of maybe not answering the question in which, yeah, uh, you wanted me to, but I, I'm trying to think about the people in my life in that regard. Yeah, no, that is uh, that is perfect and and inspiring, Chairman English. We sincerely thank you for joining the Leaders Table. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that we get to do it again another time soon. Sure, man. I look forward to it again. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We'll see you in Atlanta soon. Take care. Sounds good. Like this interview? Follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also visit www.educationalequity.org slash leaders table for more resources to grow your impact. Tweet us your questions for future interviews at Lee underscore national. Thanks so much. Your host at the leaders table is Jason Urenz. I am your producer, Molly Stevens. And thanks to John Stevens for our music and editing. 